You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show. Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Aaron Dietrich here in the Caldwell Banker Group One Realty Studio in beautiful West Monroe alongside from the Washita Citizen, Jake Martin. Jake Martin, how you doing this morning? Happy Friday. Yeah. Happy Friday to everyone out there. We made it. The weekend is here. I'm a bachelor this week. Have not slept well. Coffee's been horrible. You haven't slept well? Is that because you've gotten used to sleeping next to your wife? I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't get all lovey-dovey romantic. No, I mean, like, you know, you you have sleeping patterns. and I don't know what the deal is, man. Well, you said you didn't sleep well. I'm trying to ask you about you. I'm concerned about you. you. you We don't have a couch in here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the deal is. But you know what? It is Friday, and I'm off I'm after this show. I, I'm going to the golf course. Life couldn't be any better. Right, right. I'll be at Applebee's later. <laughs> Applebee's? You know the joke. You, you know, the weekend, you know, wife's out of town, going to go crazy, and then you end up at Applebee's. Oh, okay. Well, that Hall was, Pass. You never saw the movie Hall okay, Pass? Okay, yeah, but that was quite a stretch to just for me to just assume what you meant yeah, by that. You know, Applebee's. Every, that's universal. Uh, plenty to discuss over the next uh, two hours. You can hit us up on the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline slash text line 888-993-7762. Go to StuartShelby.com for a free quote. Would you rather tell the stories about uh, you changing diapers? I, w- I meant to ask you that oh, if, uh, in the last couple of weeks, how that is going for you. I don't, uh, let's just say I don't change them as regularly as my wife, <laughs> but I do change them. Yes. Yesterday was poop again. <laughs> it was the, it was my worst nightmare come to life. I leave I leave the so station. let me go there. First of all, on Facebook you see these things all the time of uh, dads trying to change diapers and of course the gagging and all that. Did you find those comical before? Right? Not anymore. No, no but I understood that that was going to be me one day. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I, I get you know we, we leave this. I leave the station. I go home, I work out, I jump in the shower. All of a sudden, my wife runs in the bathroom. You got to get out. You got to help me. <laughs> okay. What's going on? Emergency. So I run out, and I uh, find her with our newborn on the rug in the uh-huh. in, in the baby's room. I'm like, what's going on? Well, she pooped on the changing table. She peed on the towel. <laughs> She's she got an upset stomach. Jake for the in for the rescue. Literally, while she's t- explaining what's going on, uh, my daughter is pooping again. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. This is my – she's like and, – and I start – I don't gag, but I, you can visibly tell, like, it's getting to me. Like, this is disgusting, and I don't do very well with it. And your wife found this My funny. wife starts, cra- starts cracking up at it, <laughs> just thinks it's the funniest thing in the world that I, I'm, I'm starting to get a little sick. And I'm like, you got to get it together because we got to clean this up. <laughs> and by we, I mean you because I am struggling to keep it together here. And so because she started, you know, going again, we're like, all right, we got to just put her in the bath. We got to give her a bath. And so she runs to start, start the bath water. And then my daughter starts peeing again. And it's just everywhere. <laughs> and so we finally get her in the bathtub and in her own little bathtub. And she poops in there again and it was major issues it was awful Mm. and you know it was just one of those nightmare moments like 
you know, when people have, have newborns, they always have those stories. Mm-hmm. I haven't, you know, I've, I've been, I guess I've been fortunate to where uh, I haven't been peed on or, or pooped on yet, but that was, that was pretty, pretty crazy yesterday. <laughs> like, t- Taylor's mom was coming. Was I just want to hear town. you tell your wife, you got to get it together. I need help here. Because, because she was laughing and like, she was trying not to fall over. She was oh. laughing so much. And I'm like, look, come on. One of us has to clean this up. Mm. Yeah. So there you go. There are our headlines uh, this morning <laughs> on this uh, Friday morning. I We're four like, minutes into the show. Well, I feel like that's uh, better than some of these headlines. <laughs> All right. Where do you want to go with headlines? I don't know, morning? man. You lead the way. Uh, how about we go to the SWAC title game? So they get away. They're doing away with the championship game. I think the news came down, what, at the end of the season, I believe. They were not going to have a championship game. Uh, just horrible attendance down in Houston. And now the SWAC comes back out and says, oh, we're bringing the SWAC championship game back for football, and it'll be played in Birmingham. Birmingham was actually in the running originally for the SWAC tournament championship game, but weather, of course, was always an issue. When they played there before, I mean, we're literally talking temperatures near freezing, but they figure bring it back there, certainly have the potential to have more fans than down in Houston. Yeah, um, I like it. I'm glad they brought it back. I, I never understand why people do away with these title games. I, I always appreciate when these uh, these conferences have title games, so I'm glad to see it come back. It didn't take long for them to, to change their mind and, and bring it back, but uh, good for the SWAT. I think this is the right decision at the end of the day. Also, uh, the basketball championships will also take place in Birmingham. SWAC media days are, I say plural, day is underway. We're hoping to get a report from Birmingham coming up later in the show. Just more college games in, in Alabama. I'm sure fans love that. We did have some coaching news yesterday from the high school ranks, and this came uh, from left field and was certainly a surprise. One of our favorites, Braden, uh, Braden Bristow, <laughs> Braden's dad, Daniel Bristow, has been at OCS for 25 years. Yesterday he stepped down. Of course, he played has many roles or had many roles out there for OCS as the defensive coordinator strength and conditioning coach, and, of course, a highly successful track coach. Won four state championships in track and field for them. And then, of course, what he did for that football program. He is stepping down after 25 years. Of course, that leaves a gapping hole for Stephen Fitzhugh and his coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, a guy that he's worked with for so long. Now you have to, you know, and we're, what, a couple of months away from the season, and and now you you, you lose a vital piece like that. Uh, your long time running partner mm-hmm. who's helped build this at OCS. So yeah, that's that's devastating news. He's been there for uh, you know, I said 25 years. Started in 1991, but left for uh, three years to be a head coach in Tennessee. In I believe it was 95, 96, 97, or 96, 7, 96, 97, 98, and then came back and has of course served many roles at OCS. Got a feeling, though, Will, this is not the last time we've heard of Daniel Bristow. For sure, for sure. Uh, other headlines. How about the Houston Astros, uh, the slumping Houston Astros? This is your home for the Houston Astros updates. They have now lost three of four. They lose yesterday six to four to Oakland. They could only muster five hits on the night. Bristow, I mean Bristow. Man, Bregman did have. We are doing great. Yeah, Br- Br- Bregman did have uh, two of those hits. He goes two for four. Uh, drives in two RBI. You look at, of course, the Astros. They're in the, this mini slump. They still are 62 and 34 overall. Jake, I believe that is still the second best record in Major League Baseball. Yeah, the thing was yesterday, though, they had a 4 nothing lead and they blew it. They ended up losing 6 to 4 to the A's. So 
Yeah, something's going on with the Astros right now. Maybe the reason that uh, Dragon today I didn't get a lot of sleep. Uh, I stayed up and tried to watch a little of the World Series of Poker last night. They are now down to the final six. Okay, I feel like you're about to hate on poker. No. You Norman you do Chad, this thing Norman Chad you, is the man. Well, you do this thing where you kind of set it up and you're like, where's the where's the punchline? Do you want to offer the punchline? Do no I need to offer line. the punchline? Uh, I dozed you off. You gave me those punchline eyes. Uh-huh. You have punchline eyes. <laughs> so, poker is cool, man. Yeah, I, I was getting ready to defend poker, but I guess you're you're not going to hate on it, no. so that's fine. Especially when uh, the winner, there's $8.8 million for the winner. Yeah, nothing to make fun of there. Uh, Michael Dyer is uh, ahead. I think he has 156 million chips, twice as much as the nearest competitor. That coverage, if you're interested, I think it starts again tonight around 7.30 or 8. So down to six. Six, okay. And I think the guy that got knocked out, this, this, the seventh guy that got knocked out, finished seventh, I still think he collected a cool $1.5 million. Must be nice. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. Um, some more headlines. Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, Isaiah continues Thomas continues the fall from grace. You thinking? Well, that? he's going to the Nuggets. But here's the deal: they're they're finalizing a deal, and here he would just go for a year. I think this is one of those proving ground moments. What a lot of people were saying about Boogie going to the Warriors, go for a year, prove that you still got it, and then get a, a max deal. I think this is what Isaiah Thomas is trying to do because, of course, he was injured, didn't play with Cleveland, went to the Lakers, played in, what, 15 games at the end of the year, didn't look like his old self. So, you know, here's an opportunity for him to go back and, and earn another max contract, and we'll see if he can do that with the Nuggets. Yeah, this one-year deal, though, with Denver, only one year, $2 million. Yeah, like I said, it's one of those proving ground cases. I mean, you got to prove that you're still the guy you used to be. That's got to feel like chump change, though, for him. I'm sure it is, yeah. Hmm. Other headlines, that leads us to our World Cup update. La pelota para Rakitic, va abriendo para Montoya. Está esperando Suárez, espera Suárez en diagonal, pero muy ancha la pelota. Alcanza a enganchar la pelota a Cerva este lado. Queda un hombre para la marca, le queda atrás a Suárez, goloso del Barça. Gol. All right, no games. We continue to look forward to the World Cup final. This is the lead from ESPN. It's a World Cup final that few would have predicted at the start of Russia 2018, but France will face Croatia on Sunday with a chance to become world champions at stake for both sides. What time? Our World Cup expert, Jake John Tabor. Tabes, what time on Sunday? Do we know yet? 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock? There you go. That's right, because I'll be in church. Yeah, um, good for that. (laughs) That's all I got to say about the World Cup. Croatia has uh, knocked off Denmark, Russia, and England to get their first ever to get to their first ever uh, final. There you go. Good we'll, stuff. We'll Eric. break it down for you on Monday. Yeah, yeah I'm sure we will. Um, are you more likely to watch that or the Wimbledon finals? Uh, the World Cup finals. Are What's you, going on in Wimbledon? Uh, well, Anderson and Isner, I think, are playing right now. And then Djokovic and Nadal will play after. Mm. Djokovic and Nadal, that's a really exciting matchup there. There was a little storyline from uh, FIFA, and this is, I guess it's the world we live in today. 
I know you don't know this, Jake, but they've had a problem over there with the uh, female reporters doing, you know, on the scene reports, you know, man on the street kind of things. And as they're standing around, just people are running up to them and groping them or kissing them. And, you know, obviously uh, it's nearly an assault on some of these reporters. So FIFA doesn't like it, and rightfully so. But you know how they feel they can combat that problem? How's that? By showing less females for cutaways on their TV coverage. How are those two connected? The headline, FIFA wants broadcasters to show fewer shots of female fans, says sexism has been a bigger World Cup problem than racism. What, oh, you're going to have to connect those dots That's for what me. I, 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 those I, dots do not connect, but that is the way that they're trying. I'm trying to get in their head, though. What's the line of thinking there? Yeah. Showing less women will do what? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, good Good luck with that, people. So when you're watching the World Cup final on uh, Sunday, you may notice uh, fewer shots or no shots of women in the stands celebrating. Mm, okay. Mm. This world is strange, yeah. right? I, uh, we got some strange headlines every day. Mm. Uh, how about the uh, Hall of Fame headlines with uh, T.O. and how this saga now, Speaking of strange. How this saga continues to play out. So this should be the highlight, the pinnacle of his career, right? The fact that he's going into the NFL Hall of Fame? Should be. So I believe it's the weekend of uh, August 3rd and August 4th. But T.O. is not happy with, of course, the way it went down, not getting in the first two times that he was up for it. Mm -hmm. So instead of going to Canton, he is going to have his own little Hall of Fame party celebration ceremony at his old school uh, UT Chattanooga. Yeah, why... Shouldn't shouldn't he just finally? Well, I, I gotta say I'm not surprised because this is kind of what To has done. He's always made things about himself. But look, they're going to celebrate your career. You know, why don't you even even if you're upset that it took this many tries to get in, go get your jacket. Yeah. Go go give a speech. Yes. Come on. So the Pro Football Hall of Fame will not acknowledge To individually during enshrinement weekend in Canton next week. That's what the executive director says. He says. The focus is on the guys who are here. There's no reason to bring up an individual who's not here. I and like that stance. I do, too. And honestly, this helps them. Like, if they didn't want to put you in, if they reluctantly put yeah. you in and you're going to not go, well, then, okay, we don't have to even mention you. Yeah. We can celebrate the other guys that we wanted in. His name will be included when the whole class is announced. And then, of course, typically the jacket is presented to them on Friday night. First thing, Saturday morning, some fool will be running off to the post office to mail T.O. his jacket. <laughs> oh, man. Good old, way to stick it to the man, T.O. You think the Hall of Fame is like, man, we're inviting this guy into our prestigious club. And we got this bad apple now. Well. We won't play by our rules. Yeah, but honestly, those who don't like him are probably happy about this. Yeah. You know? Uh, by the way, this uh, class... Uh, has the likes of Ray Lewis in it, Randy Moss, and uh, Brian Urlacher. Pretty salty. Uh, the police blotter news today. Oh, we got more. Yeah. How about the story about Charles Oakley in Vegas? He got arrested. Yeah. Tell, tell us the story. Uh, basically got caught cheating at Blackjack. <laughs> Charles, do you need money, man? <laughs> has th- have, have things gotten, have times gotten that hard? Um this certainly, you know, seeing this or hearing this story certainly makes you rethink that whole Nick story yeah. that, that popped up a few years ago. 
maybe maybe he should have been thrown out, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But cheating at black at a blackjack table is pretty bad. I'm trying to find the story. It had a lot to do with. Uh, we'll get to it after a while. About was he counting cards? No, he was not counting <laughs> cards. He was suspected of adding or reducing his wager on a gambling game after the outcome was known, according to the uh, Nevada Gaming Control Board. Mm. So he was taken in the back room, <laughs> like in the olden days. Right, right. right. Other uh, police news, uh, the investigation continues with uh, LaShawn McCoy. Still does not look good. Of course, his ex-girlfriend is now claiming that he, she was basically set up as the intruder entered that home through the front door. She says that, of course, McCoy knew that there were not cameras located at the front entrance. Yeah. More. Uh, the, when's uns- the hammer going to come down? On it, this it's, it's coming soon. I mean, it's coming soon. More unsettling details. Um, I mean, listen, McCoy, better lawyer up, better lawyer up good. Hmm. That's all I got to say. And then, of course, yesterday I told you the story about uh, Kellen Winslow and how a number of they couldn't identify victims him. could not identify him. And then, of course, you see pictures later yesterday how he changed to his appearance <laughs> as he went to court. He went with the glasses, a little bit of a different only, haircut, when and he shaved. But when you're that big, there's only so many things you can he do, He lost right? some weight. It certainly worked, though, whatever he did. Hmm. Those are a few of the headlines on this Friday morning. We struggled this morning mightily. Boy, did we. <laughs> it's we all, got through it, though. It's all part of the starting lineup brought to you by Louisiana Pain Care. The starting lineup. Are you crying? The starting lineup. Are you crying? Starting lineup. Are you crying? <laughs> the starting lineup. Let's go crying. Let's get to the starting lineup. Those are literally some of the worst headlines we've ever had. I, I would nominate that as the worst headline segment. <laughs> Let's say that segment. Yeah, we should just re-air that. <laughs> I don't know what's going to be better, that or my trip to the DMV today. Uh, worst places you want to visit. Jake's going to go there to one of them today. DMV is definitely, it's near the top of the list, right? Above the dentist? Probably not. I don't really mind the DMV because I you get you to like see to a see cast it. of characters in there. Oh. It's great to people watch. You see, I don't, I don't need to do that. I don't need to people watch that. You sound like my wife. Like, I, I, I'll be just fine without. The only problem is, is you're leaving after the show, so you're going to be like, you're going to pull that number. It's going to read like sixty-eight. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be brutal. Yes. Worst but, places to go besides the DMV: eight 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 nine nine three seven seven six two. Working on a few guests today. If we don't, no problem. We got plenty of college football to talk about. Yes, we conclude. Well, actually, we did not conclude. We conclude our Power Five breakdown how about that today we will talk about the sec and we're doing something a little bit different we're going to actually put the teams in order as to which we believe they'll finish in each division and i'll I'll tell you this aaron this is ranking the sec putting the teams in order it's probably the easiest of any conference because it doesn't change a whole lot year in year out you know what i mean And honestly, I think there are very few surprises in both divisions this year. But we'll get to that. Our conference previews continue. Today we tackle the heavyweight, the SEC. Also, our coaching legend series will continue conversations with legendary coaches. 
Uh, you're not going to want to miss this. Just some unbelievable sound from uh, Eddie Robinson in the past and, of course, his remarkable career. One of the all-time greats. Yes. Your calls, your texts, always welcome at 888-993-7762. We're off and running on the morning drive. Got a tech, couple texts here. I don't know how those headlines could have generated text, but they did. 888-993-7762. Yeah, uh, Ben says, just wait till you get thrown up on at 2 a.m. Not looking forward to that. Gary says, Houston is third behind Boston and my Yankees. Hate y'all picked the wrong team to cover. Not y'all. Hate everyone. Yeah, the listeners. Hate, hate the fans. Yeah, hate the fans. Pick the, look, the Strohs are going to be just fine. Okay. Uh, and Greg says, go to Rustin DMV. A uh, quick reminder, and of course, you heard from uh, head coach Tim Baldwin from ULM Golf uh, yesterday. Big things, of course, taking place out at ULM later tonight for the Bayou at Bayou Point, of course, with the uh, State Farm Classic, the Farm Bureau Classic uh, tournament on Saturday. Then, of course, the silent auction and dinner tonight. Should be a fun two days for ULM. Huge yeah. fundraiser for that golf program. Yes, indeed. All right. Uh, so yesterday I had the opportunity, speaking of uh, ULM, to kind of drop by and uh, visit with uh, Coach Viator. Sunbelt Conference Media Day is still uh, about a week and a half away. Still all the coaches were in the offices yesterday, grinding away, looking forward to the start of fall practices. You look at this season for ULM, and it's been a few years since we've actually, fans have gone in with pretty lofty expectations for this program. Yeah, but here we are this year. I mean, we, we're anticipating uh, quite a jump from, you know, year two to year three. So let's see what happens. Uh, a lot of excitement, of course, around this program. Of course, the fact that they get to open up the season at home versus Southeastern. Then you look at the fact that they have the number of star players coming back. Oh, yeah, especially on that offensive side. So here's a little bit from uh, Coach Viator just on this time of the year and what he's anticipating from the Warhawks in the next couple of weeks. I think it's gone uh, really good. And, uh, you know, we've had really good work in our voluntary off and our, uh, you know, our summer conditioning. And, uh, you know, the NCAA allows you now to have up to two hours a week in meetings. And so we've taken advantage of that too. But uh, we've got a great attitude. I think the kids are excited and uh, so far – really really impressed with our newcomers and what they're doing and in terms of summer one and the grades they made and then moving to summer two but um, they seem to have a really good attitude as these weeks go by I mean you're literally a couple weeks away now what's it like around this office coaches giddy to get onto the field and kind of get this thing underway yeah I mean you can it's definitely close I mean and I think everybody kind of uh, feels that and then plus you know, a lot of what we were doing in June and into May was all about recruiting and, you know, because we had the satellite camps and we're doing a lot of that. But, you know, now that it's a dead period, most of our attention now is back to just football and just getting ready for August and what we're doing and everything. And so most of the time when that happens, I mean, you can start to feel it. Do you literally right now lay out what you guys will be doing for the next three to four months? Oh, yeah, no question. I mean, uh, you know, we've – we, we have our August camp schedules and, you know, when we're practicing and, you know, what we're doing and how we're doing it. And, uh, you know, we'll get into uh, some of the finer details of travel and all that as the season goes on. But all that's already laid out and stuff. So, no, I mean, we're <laughs> we're pretty much ready to go. Entering year number three, does it feel like year number three? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I've, we've, I've enjoyed it here, so I think time has, you know, has went by really fast. And, uh 
but um, you know, it's it's kind of to a point now, Aaron, that you know it, it seems more natural, I guess, or more. I don't know. I'm not the wording or whatever, but more like I belong. You know, when you first get here, you're trying to meet everybody and meet the kids, and the kids are trying to get accustomed to you and what are you going to be like and coaches and everything else. I think now it's more to a point now where, you know, of course I was at McNeese a long time, but I mean, this feels like, like home and it feels like, you know, these are my guys and, you know, stuff. And, uh, you know, whether I recruited them or not, you know, I've been around them several years and I think we got a really good relationship that I do with the players and, you know, they know what, what to expect out of me and I think I know what to expect out of them. Matt Viator, just a sampling of our conversation from yesterday. Obviously, over the next couple of weeks, we'll share more with you. He's very upbeat, and rightfully so, with this team. And I uh, like hearing him talk about how much more comfortable he is around there. He's got he, – he didn't say it, but basically his players in there, they know the routine. they got a, almost all of them, if not all of them, there on campus this summer and going through uh, different workouts and stuff. Very excited about the upcoming year. But you do look at the fact that this schedule and, of course, uh, the games that they have early on, the fact that uh, they're on the road for a majority of this first part of the year, it will not be easy. It won't be easy, but I, I like the way the schedule works out for them. I do. I, I think that we talked about it yesterday, that Southern Miss game in week two has has a chance to really swing that pendulum, yeah. right? I mean, I think if they are able, and I think they are able, but if they can pull it off, pull off that upset, it changes everything for this season. It changes the perspective uh, in everybody's minds of what ULM can do this year. And, you know, you got to get uh, the fans on board. You start 2-0 and if you have that opportunity and then travel to Kyle Field in week three to square up against Texas A&M. And then, of course, the fourth week, the huge ball game when you return home to Malone Stadium and you get the Trojans of Troy, yeah. uh, one of the favorites in the league, and you start off conference play with them. Then uh, tra uh, travel to Georgia State, then at Ole Miss, then at Coastal Carolina. So literally five of the first seven games are on the road for the Warhawks. Yeah. Let's take a timeout. Coming up next, our previews will continue. We've uh, been previewing the big conferences, the Power Five all week. Today, we turn the focus to the SEC. Yes, and we'll plug for next week, too. We'll get to Conference USA and Sun Belt at the start of next week. And then, of course, we'll have all of the media days happenings to talk about. The Morning Drive on Sports Talk 97.7 is back after this. Welcome back to the show. You can hit us up at 888-993-7762. It's called the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline slash text line. Go to StuartShelby.com for a free quote. See how the power choice can save you money on home and auto insurance. All right, Aaron. Today we got the big boys, the SEC, uh, a conference that I view, I think today I view as the best in the country. Mm -hmm. I think the Big Ten have a solid argument to you know, for number one as well. But uh, I think depth-wise, I, I would have to go to the SEC. All right, going into this year, a lot of intrigue, like always, with the SEC. And I think a lot of it has to do with the number of new head coaches that will be looking to uh, make an impact immediately. Quite a few. Uh, quite a few across the conference. If You know, you look at teams like uh, Tennessee. What, what is Tennessee going to look like with, with Jeremy Pruitt? Florida, I think, is the most – well, Florida and Texas A&M are the most intriguing. Florida want to see what Mullen can do as he returns to Florida. Uh, and with Texas A&M, they are the ultimate wild card because nobody really knows what to expect when, when Jimbo takes over and uh, and they change that defense as well. So 
Um, those are the two most intriguing. I think Ole Miss did the right thing by, by hiring Matt Luke. I, I guess you can, can uh, consider that a, a coaching change, even though he you know, coached the team last year. But you know, this time and, uh, he, he drops the interim tag, right? So I think, uh, I think they did the right thing by getting him because I thought he did a tremendous job last year. And he's an Ole Miss guy through and through. And you're not really going to do much much better uh, given Ole Miss's current predicament. So, yeah, I, I think there are a lot of storylines when you're talking about new coaches in the league. Now, I don't think you mentioned uh, Florida and then, of course, uh, Arkansas with Chad Morris. <laughs> you know, our boy uh, Wes Moore up in Little Rock. Uh, Mississippi State, Joe Moore. Yeah, too. yeah. Uh, our boy up in uh, Little Rock, uh, Wes Moore, put out a poll yesterday for his listeners and viewers. What fans anticipated from the Razorbacks? The number of wins. And literally, this I think, year? Yeah, I think it was five and six wins were leading the pack. Mm. Yeah, low expectations. Well, I was going to say, that might be even a little kind. Whoa. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, Arkansas fans. We'll get to that later. All right, let's dive into this. Where do you want to start, west or the east? Oh, let's start with the east. Let's save the best for last. Right. Um, so... This is this is what I mean by it's kind of easier to to rank the these teams in the SEC because if anybody out there wants to give me an argument as to why Georgia shouldn't be the favorite in the East, they don't have their two stud running backs coming back. Be my guest. Oh, they have DeAndre Swift. Uh-huh. They have a guy named DeAndre Swift who's pretty dang good, and of course we know how they've done recruiting wise. But maybe they'll have a quarterback controversy. Maybe it'll mm, split the team. No, 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 no. Jake Fromm is cooler than the other side of the pillow. All right. You don't like Jake Fromm? No, I just don't like you biting off Stuart Scott. I'm paying tribute okay. to him. Uh, he is so poised. He was so poised as a freshman. I'm telling you, I really like this kid uh, as the quarterback of this team. And as a sophomore, you only ex- expect him to, to grow and, and be more seasoned. I mean, he just played in the national championship, for crying out loud. But you've got Jake Fromm. You've got Isaac Nada, who is an all-SEC tight end. You've got, like I said, DeAndre Swift, who looks like he shot out of a cannon when he touches the football. You've got an offensive line that became a strength last year. And um, our, our guy that we just mentioned, I one of my favorite interviews from last football season was was when we talked to Wes Moore about uh, how Georgia, with, with, with by taking Arkansas's offensive line coach, they – they were able to do what Arkansas was doing for a few years with Belima, and that's, you know, dominate the line of scrimmage. And you saw it with Georgia last year. They were so much more physical than they have been, and I thought that was the difference maker in them going from flirting with contention in the East to being a legitimate national title contender. And so you return three starters from, from, from an offensive line that I viewed as a strength last year. Man, that's looking pretty good. So – you look at these things, and, and of course they've got uh, Terry Godwin and Riley Ridley, who you know Riley Ridley was um, had his coming out party in the national championship game last year. Remember that? Remember we were all talking mm-hmm. about Riley Ridley oh, yeah. after that game and, and the tremendous plays that he made. So you look at what they return on offense, and you're going, should we just give them the SEC's crown right now today? I mean, we might as well, right? Because nobody's going to slow this team down. Nobody's going to knock them off their perch in terms of the SEC East. What other program can lose their second and third all-time leading rushers and then talk about a wealth of riches and then have another running back in Swift, as you mentioned, who can be literally a Heisman Trophy candidate as he rushed for over, what, 600 yards last year? Yeah, uh, exactly. But that, that goes to what I've been saying about Kirby Smart and the job he's done of building Georgia. You know, 
I don't know why there was some sort of storyline last year about, well, this is George's only shot. No, man. Have you not been paying attention to what Kirby Smart's been doing on the recruiting ranks? He's been putting together top caliber classes. And you can go back to just last year, uh, this, this recent 2018 class, it was better than Bama's. And so he's building something tremendous at Georgia. This isn't just a, a one-hit wonder. They're going to be very good for a very long time. And the reason why I like Georgia this year is because, yeah, they return all that on offense. And Kirby Smart's ability to turn a weakness into a strength. And what I mean by that is Georgia lost all four linebackers from last season. And that's including Roquan Smith, who was all everything. I mean, how many times have we talked mm-hmm. about Roquan Smith on this show? But that is Kirby Smart's expertise. He's a defensive-minded coach. And so I, I always like this. When a coach is, is, is favorable to one side and they return a good bit on the other side of the ball, I always have more faith that that coach can, can, can get that, that side that's lacking that experience. And, and of course, he, he's done well in the recruiting ranks. He's got the athletes. If he can put you know, his coaching – Mix his coaching with the recruits that he's been able to get, and I think that defensive side is going to be just fine. Even if it takes them a little while to adjust, that's okay. The offense can carry them until that defensive side catches up. So literally October 13th when they make a visit to LSU, they will be 6-0. and Should be. Yeah, yeah, should be. Austin P. at South Carolina, Middle Tennessee at Missouri, Tennessee Vandy, and then, of course, the trip down the, to Tiger The State. only reason why I say should be is that South Carolina trip could be trouble. You know, second week of the season, South Carolina is going to have a, a pretty good football team. Um, that's going to be a very interesting game, and that that has potential to kind of knock Georgia off its perch. But I, I don't see it happening. But uh, at worst, they'll be five and one. Uh, Smarters lost only two SEC West road games uh, last year at Auburn, and then in 2016 versus Ole Miss. Nah, that's that's kind of. How many do they actually have? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) What does that stat say? Actually, that's kind of of a bad stat for him, right? I mean, what's he had four SEC West road games? So what is he five hundred? Anyway, so Georgia's, you know, the team to beat in the East, right? Then I think you have to look at teams like Florida. Uh, Florida's extremely intriguing just because of Dan Mullen. All right, the whole thing with Dan Mullen has always been he's he gets the most out of his talent. So yeah. now you would think at Florida he will have the talent. He most certainly will have the talent. Um, when you're looking at Florida, whether you believe Felipe Franks held on to the ball too long or the protection up front wasn't good enough, Florida led the conference in sacks allowed per game last year. They, they allowed 3.4 sacks per game, okay? You know, actually, if you look at it, they they allowed 37 sacks, which is more than any other team despite playing one to three games fewer than the rest of the conference. That is quite a telling stat. So whether it's the offensive line, and I think it's a mixture of both because Franks did hold on to the ball way too long on numerous occasions last year. They've got to correct that. They they cannot take the sacks that they took last season. And Mullen, Mullen should be the right guy to, to fix that. So I think if you're Mullen, that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, you, you do inherit a really good run game. You know, guys like uh, P. Ryan and, and Jordan Scarlett return. I really, really like Jordan Scarlett. He, I thought he was a, a, a tremendous back for them last year. Uh, with those guys returning, uh, you know, that's that's something to build off of. Uh, defense, we all know C.C. Jefferson 
is a great player, able to get to the quarterback. He's proven that in his career. Um, Florida always has that argument with LSU every year that they should be DBU. They have another compelling argument this year with Marco Wilson and C.J. Henderson. Uh, it's kind of hard to find a better cornerback duo than those two in the conference. Um, but, you know, I, I think the defense will be pretty good. The, the question will be the offense and, and whether or not Dan Mullen can come in in year one and do something that hasn't been done in nearly a decade. This team hasn't finished in the top 40 in scoring nationally since 2009. We're talking about Tim Tebow, Urban Meyer days. That's been that's been quite a while, Aaron. So can Dan Mullen come in? Is he the missing ingredient? And let's not forget, you know, we love to hate on Jim McElwain, and he was the coach I love to hate on the most. Mm -hmm. But he was an offensive guy, and he couldn't get things fixed at Florida. So let's see if, if Dan Mullen can do it. We all assume he can, especially with the athletes he has and, and his proven track record at Mississippi State. But easier said than done. Who's the best team in second best team in this division? Is it Florida or South Carolina? You look at Will Muschamp entering now his third year as the head coach. Has a number of returners coming back, including eight on the offensive side of the ball. You look at the Gamecocks, though, and you, you circle the, the second week of the year as they get an opportunity to host Georgia in a big one. Let me ask you, let me let you take over for a second. What are your thoughts of Will Muschamp? Today. Today. His reputation has has taken a major hit, I think. You think it has taken a major hit. Why? He just hasn't produced like I thought he would. Really? I mean, the recruiting has been a lot better with him compared to Steve Spurrier. But you look at Steve Spurrier over the – downhill slide of his career I mean they weren't getting the players perhaps that Muschamp's getting now listen I think he's done a really good job at South Carolina I think this has been this has gone a lot better than I anticipated and I I, I kind of I'm surprised by your answer I thought you were going to say that you you feel much better about Dan Mullen I mean Dan Mullen you feel much better about Will Muschamp today than you did when he was at Florida mm-hmm. because Let's go all the way back uh, a couple of years. His first year, I believe, when he lost Sky Moore, mm-hmm. the best player on that team, no doubt, one of the best linebackers in the conference. I mean, no question. Lost Sky Moore and was still able to put forth a solid season. And then last year, their defense only allowed 21 points per game. Okay, and they were, uh, I believe, seven and six on, on the season. So they had a great season last year. I have faith that Muschamp is going to put a good defense out there. And, you know, let's not forget that McIlwain had the benefit of working with Muschamp's players on defense, and Florida's defense helped them. You know, despite its offensive inefficiencies, that defense helped carry the way. And so Muschamp's going to put forth a good defensive product. And then you look at that offensive side of the ball and you see that Jake Bentley returns, who is a smart athletic quarterback with – arguably the best receiver in the SEC in Debo Samuel. Uh, You know, Samuel missed a good portion of last year with an injury, but we all know what he's capable of. We saw it two years ago. So you put Debo Samuel with Bentley, who threw for nearly 3,000 yards last year. You know, I would like to see him limit his turnovers a bit, but I still view Bentley as one of the better uh, decision makers in the conference. So, I think South Carolina has a chance to, to, to make some noise. And now, whether that's – I'm not saying they're going to win the SEC East, but I definitely think they have an, an opportunity to knock some guys off that, that a lot of people aren't expecting. And that's including Georgia in week two. 
Trent agrees with you, says, I agree, Ringo. Felipe Franks can play. Ball in Dan Mullen's hands. Oh, by the way, Florida always has a good defense. I like the direction Muschamp has taken the Gamecocks. I like Muschamp. It was humbled by the boot of Florida. I think he fits in South Carolina. Adds, of course, that South Carolina is a tough really job. Is. Ben says, watching Bentley against Tech last year, South Carolina has no chance to beat Georgia. Not a chance. I wouldn't be so sure of that. I, I'm definitely taking Georgia in that game, but don't sleep on the Gamecocks in week two. Oh, God, that's a bad memory. <laughs> South Carolina. Yeah, Tech, Tech had such oh, an opportunity. It's such a such, that was Tech's. That was the uh, the theme of Louisiana Tech last year. The missed opportunities. Was that a worse loss than UAB? No, I don't know, man. The UAB loss was just because of the celebration afterwards. I don't know. South Carolina was pretty bad. I, I think you just because it was UAB and because everybody's always like, well, UAB gets favorable treatment in the conference. And I don't know. You had an opportunity to take down an SEC school on there. We're splitting turf. hairs here. I mean, yeah. both were bad. Both were tough. Was it were either worse than Southern Miss? Uh. <laughs> Let's change the subject. <laughs> we're going to get people upset this morning. Um, where do you want to go next? Uh, how about Missouri, a team that we always overlook. And, of course, offensively, what they're going to be able to do with uh, Drew Locke coming back at quarterback, you would think potentially, once again, they're going to be able to light up the scoreboard, even with Double D, Derek Dula <laughs> calling the, the shots. That's what makes this uh, intriguing, too, is, you know, the hype is real regarding Andrew Locke. He can yeah. sling it. We all know this. And he's got some really good weapons to throw to. But what's it going to look like with Derek Dooley? Is he going to change too much? The, the, you can't. But listen, the the red flag this spring was Derek Dooley hasn't figured out exactly what he wants to run. Yeah. Why are you changing yeah. anything? Run what you ran last year. Yeah, I think it worked out pretty well last year. Locke was lighting people up. So that when I saw that, I was just like, man, is he is he trying to throw people off by saying that? I certainly hope so. But uh, so that's why I've got a question mark. Like, what are they going to look like? How is that um, tra that that transition? To Derek Dooley going to look like. That said, I mean, the defense was one of the worst in the SEC last year, but they do return Terry Beckner, who is uh, another one of those great Missouri defensive linemen. Uh, Missouri is one of those schools that, you know, I've been talking about this recently with the high school ranks, how, how Neville has consistently produced really good defensive linemen. Missouri is that way, is the college form of that. I mean, they just – Every year, no matter what the team looks like, they still have a really good defensive lineman that's probably going to be selected uh, relatively high in the NFL draft. Terry Beckner seems to be that next guy. But, yeah, I, the schedule doesn't do Missouri any favors. Uh, they get to go to Alabama exactly. October 13th. That's exactly. awesome. Exactly. And that's that one game can really throw things off. If you've got a tight race in the SEC East, if, if Missouri, Florida, South Carolina, and Georgia are all vying for that top spot, a, a loss to Bama, that's that's one more SEC loss against you. And I just, because I see that Alabama's on the schedule, I go, yeah, not this year, Missouri. All right, let's finish out the East. Uh, you want to go with the dumpster fire that is Tennessee? <laughs> uh, sure. You know, it's imperative for Jeremy Pruitt to establish an identity from the get-go. Okay, they got to figure out what they're, what they're going to do. And I just think it's going to be difficult to establish that identity when you get West Virginia in week one and Will Greer is likely going to light them up, okay? Where's the confidence after that West Virginia loss? I don't like um, 
I don't like the schedule for them because they get Florida, Georgia, Auburn, and Alabama in consecutive weeks with one bye in between. So you're looking at a two and five start if we're being nice, right? I mean, we're looking at a two well, and five. Well, the record. fact you got to open up with West Virginia to start, and then of course uh, East Tennessee and UTEP. But then, of course, the, the, that murderous row you're talking about, Florida, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, South Carolina. And South Carolina. Yeah, I didn't even mention South Carolina. So, and three of those on the road. Yeah, by the time you get to South Carolina, how, is it, have you lost the team yet? Like, is the team still fighting hard for you? So those are the questions I have regarding Tennessee. It's not going to happen in week one for Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Vanderbilt. Should we even really break them down? <laughs> Der- you know, Derek Mason, I was really high on him two years ago. I, I-, I like the trajectory of the program. I-, I thought he was doing a really good job, especially, you know, you lose a coach like James Franklin. I'm like, dang, they, they- it seems like they hit another home run with Derek Mason. And then last year, the way it started off, they were starting 3-0, and and they beat Kansas State. And I'm like, okay, all right. And then Alabama absolutely took their soul. I mean, Alabama, because people were, were actually getting excited about that Vanderbilt-Alabama game. You remember this, Aaron? Mm-hmm. It was at Vandy. There were more Alabama fans there. It was basically a home game for Alabama. And Alabama beat them so bad that they never recovered the rest of the year. I mean, the rest of the season, they didn't look like the same team as they did in those first three weeks. Now, Kyle Shermer, some people really like him. I, I'm just kind of, uh, I guess, lukewarm on him. He's not a bad player. Uh, but I just look at Vanderbilt and I see them near the bottom of the SEC East once again. And then once again, we kind of just overlook Kentucky. I think they've been to what two straight well, bowl games. Well, you know, Kentucky's interesting. They they, they have a Benny Snell at, at running back again. He, he's good for a thousand yards every year. It seems like um, the question is who's going to be their quarterback because the guy with the most experience is Lynn Bowden and he has ninety two passing yards. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have a new face at quarterback and. Uh, Terry Wilson's actually a graduate transfer from Oregon, and he's probably the best fit for that scheme that they like to run. You know, they like to run that read option. Uh, so he, he might have the inside track to be the starter. Uh, the defense does return eight starters from last year, but, um, you know, they, the defense wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire last year either. So there you go. There is your SEC East preview. Just kind of meh. It's top-heavy. Yeah. Coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, we'll dive into the West. Coming up next, we'll uh, have our Legends Coaching Series. It's never easy to say. We need a better title. You're the one who came up with it. You struggle with all titles of segments, though. Thank you. How long did it take you to get Top 10 Thursday down? You remember those Uh, days? Still working on it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The legend, Eddie Robinson. Here's some clips from him coming up after the break. Really some great stuff on how it all started, Eddie Robinson at Grambling. Then, of course, what the records meant to him. Mm. That's coming up after the break. How's that tease? That's pretty good. Thank you. Not bad. Conversations with legendary coaches. Our series continues after this. My God. All right, Jake, we couldn't do this series if we didn't include some sound from uh, the GOAT, Eddie Robinson, correct? Absolutely right. So just an amazing career, to say the least, and the impact that he had on college football and then across the country and, most importantly, in this part of the country. So we've got a number of clips here and uh, just some great stuff and revealing stuff about Eddie Robinson and his career. Uh, We start with the very beginning and how it all kicked off at Grambling. If I were not 
uh, in football. If I was in science, I'd try to be down at Cape Kennedy trying to put people on the moon. What NASA lost college football gained. In 1941, as a recent college graduate, an energetic Robinson was ready to tackle his new profession. And R.W. Jones was ready to give the 22-year-old a shot at a small school in Northeast Louisiana. And he told me to coach. And boy, let me tell you, I coached for him. I loved him. However, Robinson's love affair with the school got off to a rocky start. With a three and five record in his first season, fans went to President Jones looking for a change. He said, no, I'm not gonna fire him. Say, I see something good in him. In typical Robinson fashion, the Tigers responded with a 9-0 record in his second season. Armed with a cowbell, Robinson worked the job of four men. With no paid assistant coaches and little equipment, he was having the time of his life. For the 50 years, I've been probably about the happiest man alive. Now, not money-wise, because I really found out, you know, you live comfortably and you have money, you work, you save. It's just some things they can't buy. If they'd give me all the money that anybody got in the world, I wouldn't take it for the experiences that I've had with the young men who played for us at Grambling and to go through that part of my life. Coach Rob put the small northeast Louisiana town on the football map. In addition to opponents, Robinson battled segregation and discrimination. I sat on the back of the bus. Uh, I came at a time when I, I, I drank water at a, a segregated fountain. Getting his student athletes ready for life after football became Robinson's obsession. Good shot, good shot, good shot. With 85% of his athletes graduating, Robinson's strong words did not fall on deaf ears. You need a degree, you need a diploma. If you leave school without a diploma, you the loser. And this is, this is how we feel. All right, a couple of things. First of all, uh, Jake, the fact after one year, ready to run, Eddie Robinson off. It's a good thing he stuck around, right? Yeah, yeah, it is a good thing. I think it worked out pretty, pretty well. Uh, it certainly did. Uh, 408 career wins, 165 losses, uh, and a remarkable career at Grambling. Of course, uh, we put together this piece after uh, Eddie Robinson died uh, April 3rd, 2007. In fact, it was a 30-minute special I did on the legacy of Eddie Robinson. A number of things in this, including the records that he accomplished when he was in college football. Here's a little bit from Coach Rob on the records and what they meant to him and, of course, the Grambling program. The real record is one job for 44 years. And, you know, they might break the record, but I don't know if a coach will stay at one place 44 years. Even on his biggest night, Coach Robinson wanted the spotlight to shine on his players. The whole impact it just hadn't hit me yet. I appreciate all the attention and whatnot. I'm a late cry. I probably cried tonight. Uh, I cried once in there. And, you know, it's that kind of thing. I don't... Uh, I will not let Eddie Robinson own the record. It doesn't belong to me. I keep saying it, and a lot of guys tell me, that, well, you don't say it like that. The way these kids played their hearts out and the way the other football players, God bless me.
to have had the privilege to coach some of the finest athletes in the world. And they're the ones who really own it. But the thing that I'm most proud of, what can happen to an individual in our country, in America? This is the thing that's most important. Robinson had become an American icon. With each win, his legend grew. And the clock ticks away. And there it is, victory number 400. It's a Grambling games have become an event. Stars like N.C. Hammer were often spotted rooting on the G-Men, and everyone knew Coach Rob was too legit to quit. I'm not satisfied. Uh, you know, I, I know I'm coaching some of the best athletes in the world, but like I told Dr. Johnson when he was here, and President Jones, and uh, now I'm telling Dr. Lundy, Gramlin has to be an American university. Robinson went on to win 408 games, 17 Southwestern Athletic Conference titles, and nine National Black College Championships. For a coach who had only eight losing seasons in his 57-year career, Robinson's last year on the sidelines was a tough pill to swallow as the Tigers limped to a 2-8 season. In his final game in the stadium named after him, an emotional Robinson said goodbye to a football program he had made known across the world. More from uh, Eddie Robinson coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. You just can't see uh, Eddie Robinson saying too legit to quit. I can't see you saying that. <laughs> Hashtag too legit uh, to the quit. The footage was pretty incredible. MC Hammer walking through the crowd to get to the field in the heyday. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, we'll talk about, of course, Doug Williams, what that meant to uh, Eddie Robinson watching him win a Super Bowl and, of course, being <laughs> – Thanks for listening to the best of The Morning Drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts.